right, hi. We're going to start off in Acts chapter 9 tonight if you want to get a head start on that. Feel free to use your tablet or your phone. Just please turn it on vibrate or some other way that I won't hear your crazy ringtone. I was encouraged today because, you know, a lot of people, our church, we use a lot of technology. We encourage people to use technology and all that. And I was encouraged that Moses used similar technology because he wrote on two tablets. But I know one of them was not a Kindle because later on in Exodus he said, do not kindle a fire on the Sabbath day. So kindle, fire, get it? All right. Instead of question and answer tonight, I think Jake and I will just have a debate. How's that? That way you guys will figure out what you missed in the presidential debate. Oh, wow, was that tonight? So anyway. All right, Peter, Paul, and Barney, as Gene said. Jeffrey Dahmer, convicted of unspeakable acts of perversion and cannibalism that shocked the nation. He was murdered in prison, but not before he professed faith in Jesus Christ as his Savior, by some accounts. Ted Bundy was a notorious serial killer executed for his crimes. Before he died, he also claimed faith and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. I don't want to explore all the details and argue whether or not these men were saved and are in heaven today. My point is simply this. Isn't God's grace so amazing that even men like these can be saved at the end of their lives. It's, it's a wonderful thing, the grace of God. When Paul returned from Damascus to Jerusalem, he was a man like that. He had left three years earlier on a mission to enlarge the scope of his vicious persecution of Christians. Make no mistake about it, he was a murderer. He was a serial killer of Christians. He was a terrorist. He was likened to a wild beast stalking and killing its prey. He returned a disciple by the grace of God, but no one believed his testimony. And so in Acts 9.26, we read, And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. They were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. Grace is amazing, all right, but it can seem to us to be indiscriminate and unfair. Apparently, the believers in Jerusalem couldn't wrap their minds around Paul the, uh, Saul, the persecutor, being a Christian. But the question really is, is it ever fair that any sinner would be saved by grace? At any, uh, I mean, we, we have our own ideas of uh, who are the worst sinners. But should, it should astonish us that there is salvation by grace at all. That's what makes it grace. At least one disciple in Jerusalem was willing to risk everything on God's grace. That was Barnabas. And so we read in verse 27 and 8, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem coming in and going out. The name Barnabas appears 23 times in Acts, five times in Paul's letters. Barnabas, we know, was a Levite, a native of the island of Cyprus. His name was Joseph or Joses before the disciples called him Barnabas. His name is said to mean most normally son of encouragement. That's how it's most often 
translated that it was interesting. I, I, I read that it can equally be translated son of prophecy or one who prophesies or preaches or even the son of exhortation. Uh, we normally think of him as uh, the son of encouragement because he sold some property to encourage the church there in, in their fledgling uh, year uh, months. Uh, and then later on, he tried to encourage young John Mark in the ministry. But um, I, I think sometimes we're, we don't understand how, uh, how robust this man was. I mean, he, he, the encouragement, certainly people need that, and, and it's great. Uh, but, but there was a strength to him. There was an exhortation to him. There was a, uh, an understanding of prophecy to him. There was a speaking forth the word of the Lord. He was just a, a, a very strong, well-rounded Christian. It seems that Barnabas heard Paul's testimony and believed it. Maybe he heard Paul preach in a local synagogue. Maybe he sought him out personally. Certainly, he received a word from the Lord, a witness in his own spirit, this son of prophecy, that Paul was truthful. He believed God's grace could even save a man like Paul. Instead of being afraid, instead of thinking, I, I don't know, maybe he's changed tactics and he's trying to, you know, infiltrate or things like that, Barnabas just stood back and, and rejoiced in the grace of God. He says, yeah, that's, that, that's the guy that three years ago stood here and held the garments of the people while they were stoning Stephen to death, and now God's got a hold of him. God's grace is so amazing. And it opened the door for Paul to be in fellowship with the Jerusalem Christians, the fact that Barnabas would make this bridge with him. Now, the only one of the original 12 apostles on hand during Paul's stay was Peter. The two spent the next 15 days together. Paul may have been in Jerusalem longer than that, but he tells us in Galatians chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, uh, that he was with Peter, staying with him, we believe, at his house for 15 days. It says, then after three years, that's the time he was in Damascus and Arabia, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter. I remained with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now, James, the Lord's brother, was not one of the original 12 apostles, uh, but other men were uh, called apostles in the first century. There was an apostle, James, but this is a different James. This is James, the Lord's brother, who became uh, sort of the leader of the Jerusalem church. It would have been great to hang with those two guys, wouldn't it, and listen to them talk about Jesus. Don't you wish you could be a fly on that wall? You know, just to, you know, Peter, who had been with Jesus for three years and, uh, you know, I'm sure was very open about, you know, his uh, misunderstandings. And I'm sure, you know, I could see him big, burly, joking fisherman talking about the time he almost drowned, thinking he could walk on water and, and Jesus had to save him and, and how their eyes were open to the Lord and those kinds of things. I mean, it'd, it'd be great. To, those are the kind of stories that you want to hear. For his part, Paul had been three years in Damascus and Arabia sharing Christ. And I think that would have fascinated Peter because this is before Peter had the vision from the Lord to go out and evangelize Gentiles. And so imagine Peter thinking, wow, really? You, you, you know, God called you in that dramatic way and then you left Damascus and you were in Arabia and you, you've been witnessing to Gentiles? What's that all about? How did that go? Because this was all brand new to him. And, and uh, we often think of 
the vision that Peter will get of the sheet coming down from heaven with all the unclean animals that Jews aren't supposed to eat and then God telling him, arise, Peter, kill and eat, which was preparatory for him going to the uh, house of Cornelius, the Gentile, and sharing with him the gospel. But he'd already been set up for some of that a little bit by Paul just share, telling him, hey, yeah, this is what I've been doing by the grace of God. And so very interesting talk and time together that these two men spent for 15 days. Something else significant happened to Paul during those two weeks. If you want to jump over to Acts 22 or just look at it on the screen, it's verses 17 through 21. It says, now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by consenting to his death, guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then he said to me, depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. Jesus had made it abundantly clear at Paul's calling that he was sending him out to the Gentiles. There was no doubt about that. He, he, he knew that he was doing that. Uh, that was his call and God's command. If you were going to have a ministry to Gentiles, would you base yourself in Jerusalem and think this is a great place to do ministry because all the Jews will see the transformation that has taken place in my life and of course they will come to Christ. You'd hardly find a base in Jerusalem for a Gentile ministry, and yet that was Paul's plan. And so it's kind of interesting to meditate on this. So Paul knew his calling. He'd actually already been out in Arabia uh, ministering to Gentiles, but now he comes back to Jerusalem where you know, it was kind of his second home. He had been schooled there by Gamaliel. He'd spent a lot of years there. And there was something in him that just wanted to stay there and, and minister to the Jews. Uh, and, and he sort of put his calling on the back burner. And, and the Lord has to come to him in, in this vision and say, hey, get out of here. And Paul, in a sense, argues with the Lord. He says, well, you don't understand, Lord. <laughs> this is a perfect place for me to do ministry, but it was not. God speaks so clearly but we hear through our own filters and our own prejudices, our own biases, our own preconceptions. It's so hard to be unbiased. My favorite thing about going to jury duty and not being called is um, they always, you know, they, they report what's going to be happening and stuff, and they always ask people, can you be unbiased? And I always want to say No. I don't, I don't really think I can. If you, to tell you the truth, I've already decided that person's guilty because I have prejudices and bias. It's really hard to be unbiased. I, I think we can rise above it and do it, but a lot of times in, in our walk with the Lord, we, we have our filters and our understandings and, and different things, and we're not, the Lord is speaking clearly, but we're not really hearing him. And so Jesus said, hey, you're going out to the Gentiles. Paul said, I'm going to be based in Jerusalem and minister in synagogues. And the Lord said, what are you talking about? Where's the disconnect? And so he told him to get out of there. And, and then uh, in a minute, we'll see that he had to because persecution broke out against Paul. Acts uh, 20, uh, 9, 29. 
He spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenist, but they attempted to kill him. These are all events that are taking place during this period of time in Jerusalem. Three years earlier, as I noted, Paul had been watching the clothing of these Hellenists. They were Jews who favored uh, integration with Greek culture. These guys are the ones who stoned to death Stephen. By God's grace, Paul now picked up right where Stephen had left off, and the Hellenist Jews were ready to pick up literally stones right where they left off with Stephen. Acts 9.30, when the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. And so they accompanied him. Some commentators say it was for his safety. I think, you know, it's just speculation on my behalf, but uh, I think they wanted to make sure he didn't turn around. They, they wanted to get him on his way because uh, he was trouble for the Christians when he was persecuting them. And now he was bringing trouble upon them again by preaching with such boldness. They had enjoyed some rest. You remember uh, the Bible earlier had said in an earlier study, we saw how Jerusalem had some rest after Paul, uh, you know, left. But uh, so now they're sending him off to Caesarea. Paul would be in Tarsus for about the next five years. Commentators often describe his time there as a failure. I've heard it said, and I'd read it in print, that Paul simply went home to Tarsus and resumed making tents. It assumes his ministry in Damascus was largely a bust and that he was in solitude in Arabia and that he got really nowhere in Jerusalem. So he sort of retired, as it were, and would have been content to pass off the pages of church history. And when we get there in our next study, we'll see that Barnabas seeks out Paul and he brings him to the church at Antioch. And, and there's, uh, I've heard a lot of studies where, you know, how Barnabas, the son of encouragement, really saved Paul uh, for the church because he was so discouraged and bummed out and, and he had just had it and he was just making tents. Now, there are famous people whose conversions to Christianity are a flash in the pan. And that's what basically people are saying about Paul, that he was a flash in the pan up until that time. Bob Dylan comes to mind. I don't make any judgment about the genuineness of his conversion. Uh, I'm not telling you he is or is not a Christian. But I do remember he recorded Slow Train Coming and followed it with Saved. His single off the album Saved, Gotta Serve Somebody, won him a Grammy for the best male vocalist that year. But that was like four decades ago. And there hasn't been much of a testimony since. If anything, there's been kind of an anti-testimony. But Paul doesn't really fit that category, not what we know about him. We've already seen he was out ministering to Gentiles in Arabia. Now we just read of his bold preaching to Jews in Jerusalem. There's no way you're telling me that he just went back home to Tarshish and said, hey, mom and dad, I'm a Christian, but I, you know, I just want to make tents. I'm just going to, you know... I flamed out. There's nothing more for me to do. We get some insight from his own pen about those years in and around Tarsus. Make a mental note as we're reading this next section in Galatians 1 that Syria and Cilicia was the combined name of a province of which Tarsus and Antioch were co-capitals. And so Galatians 1, 21, afterward I went into the region of Syria and Cilicia or Cilicia, I don't know how to pronounce it. And I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ, but they were hearing only he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God in me. So Paul says afterward, meaning when he left Jerusalem, he preached in the region of Syria and Cilicia, including his hometown of Tarshish. He was busy sharing Christ. 
In Acts 15, you don't need to turn there, but it says the brethren in Syria and Cilicia are mentioned in a letter which was sent to the churches, and it is said that Paul went through Syria and Cilicia confirming the churches. No account is given anywhere in Acts of the planting of those churches. Paul fills out the history in Galatians, leaves no doubt that during the four or five years he was in Syria and Cilicia, he was planting those churches. That's where they came from, and that's why he could go through that area later and encourage those same churches. We cannot be certain of things that are not recorded, but it's clear that Paul was not in retirement. He wasn't pining away. He wasn't disobeying Christ's call and his command. Here's a great personal encouragement for you. I hope it will be. Much of the service of the Apostle Paul is unknown to anyone but God. When you're, I'm trying to piece these studies together, more often than not, the commentators say, well, we just don't know this, or we don't know much about this, or he seemed to spend three years here, but not much is said about it. And so, though we have a great deal of the ministry of Paul in the book of Acts, especially, and his missionary journeys, I, with you, am learning a lot of things about what he was doing for 10 years prior to those things, and a lot of it still is in the dark, and so a lot of Paul's service is just unknown. Even if all your service is known only to God, so what? Your service, we might say, is on a need-to-know basis, and only Jesus needs to know. It's pretty clear that most of our service is or will be or should be as unto the Lord. Nobody needs to know about it at all. One reason we are hesitant to press people into serving the Lord is because you might be serving him in ways that cannot be easily seen. I mean, I can, you know, I can look around and I can see if somebody is in the children's ministry or somebody's ushering or somebody's doing something and think, wow, that person's serving the Lord. And then I might see somebody else who maybe is not visibly serving the Lord, but I don't know that they're not serving the Lord. Maybe that person has the gift of giving. Maybe they have a, a gift of intercessory prayer. Maybe they have a gift that, uh, you know, isn't really readily accessible or something that everybody knows about. I, I think you get the point. So we need to be careful making any judgments about people's service. At the same time, you can't assume you're serving the Lord in secret because you're a Christian when you're really a slacker. And so there's a balance there. I mean, you know, people say, well, I, yes, I'm serving the Lord. I got up and I read my Bible three times a week and I go to church. Well, you're, you're not serving the Lord. You're being served. And so if you don't have some visible service and you don't have any secret service going on, then you need to get to serving the Lord. And so we don't, you know, we don't judge the Lord, another man's servant. I don't want to judge people in, in what they're doing or how much they should be doing. We want to disciple people, encourage people to serve. Uh, but since much of your service is going to be known only to God, we want to be careful and keep it that way. Paul said of his secret serving, they glorified God in me. It was only by God's grace, by God being in Paul, that such a person could be converted and be serving. And it's also a reminder to us to always serve only so that God gets the glory. Now, it's okay to encourage others or to give kudos to Christians as long as you're not looking to receive them and then disappointed when you don't. So encourage away, throw encouragement bombs all day at people. Tell people how great they are, how much you love them, as long as you're not doing it 
purposely to flatter somebody, encouragement is a great ministry. The problem is when I want to be encouraged, when I need to be, when I expect encouragement. Maybe I serve and I do something and then nobody thanks me or no one says anything. No one notices. Well, that's never true because the Lord notices. And most of my service is going to be unknown to all but God anyway. And so, so encourage one another. But don't become the kind of person that depends on that encouragement or thinks that you need to be rewarded this side of heaven. One other significant event in Paul's life most likely occurred during this time in Syria and Cilicia. It's in 2 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 1. It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I don't know, whether out of the body I don't know, God knows. Such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, God knows. How he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast, except my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I would not be a fool, for I will speak the truth, but I refrain lest anyone should think of me above what he sees to be or hears from me. Now, when Paul says to the Corinthians about 14 years ago, that puts him back in Syria and Cilicia during this time that we're talking about after he had been in Jerusalem for a while. So this, he had this experience during this time period. It's interesting, a lot of the persecutions Paul describes are not recorded in the book of Acts. None of his scourgings, for example, I think he said he was beaten by the Jews five times. None of those are recorded for us in the book of Acts. Several shipwrecks he was involved with. There's only one big one recorded in the book of Acts. So all of this must have occurred during either his three years in Arabia and or in the years he spent preaching in Syria and Cilicia. Perhaps in one of those persecutions, he swooned and was taken to heaven. Perhaps this was just a full-on vision God blessed him with. Either way, we'd say of it that God knew exactly how and when to encourage his servant. And so Paul says, I had this experience I want to share with you. I can't really talk about it. I can't express it, but man, it was glorious. I was, I, I, you know, taken to heaven. And if you tie this in with some of his persecutions, uh, you can see what a blessing it was that the Lord gave him this. By the way, um, it was insightful on the part of my wife. He pointed this out to me. Um, this passage is used a lot to say, you know, people should never say, well, yeah, I had an experience where I, I went to heaven and I saw a certain thing because Paul said, I went to heaven and you can't talk about heaven. It's inexpressible. But John went to heaven and he talked all about heaven. And so, now I'm not saying everybody who says they go to heaven is credible or that we put any credence in that or think that that's what heaven is really like. It's just that sometimes we don't think things through. So we can't say that no one described heaven because John did under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And it's an incomplete description, but it's, uh, it's all that we need. Uh, and so just, you know, be lenient. Let's be lenient as we're orthodox. How's that? Make sense? This was also the time Jesus gave Paul his famous thorn in the flesh, verse 7, and lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations. A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. This was almost certainly a physical infirmity of some type. We don't know what. Some have called Paul a visionary with a sight problem. 
because it may have, he may have had trouble with his eyes. He makes a reference in, uh, the, uh, to the Galatians that they would have given them their own eyes. They would have given him their own eyes. I mean, that's a weird thing to say unless you need somebody's eyes. Uh, and so he could have had a disease called ophthalmalia, which I think accompanies malaria. Um, some point out that he was a healer who remained infirm because he went about healing and had the gift of healing from time to time, but he himself had this thorn, or it can be translated, stake in the flesh. There's some interesting comparisons between Paul's thorn in the flesh and the sufferings of Jesus, at least two that we can glean. Jesus went to the cross. Paul had a stake. Both of them prayed three times to be delivered from their suffering. When they were not delivered, they submitted to God's will. Since Jesus was a suffering Savior, it only makes sense that his servants would suffer as well. You're going to be a Christian. You're going to find suffering in your life at some point, maybe at all points. As we wrap up tonight, at this point, Paul is just 10 years old in the Lord. He's, uh, we saw him last, last study. He was a baby Christian. Now he's just, he's, he's just a little adolescent Christian. But he's already done tons of stuff. He's been beat up and shipwrecked and scourged and been all over uh, that area, preaching the Lord to Jew and Gentile. Very eventful 10 years, and yet we see that a lot more was on his horizon. We haven't even gotten to Barnabas calling him to Antioch and what we call his first and second missionary journeys. Now, he's been on a missionary journey from the moment he got saved, but there's a lot more to come. The whole bulk of the book of Acts lays ahead, which is mostly about Paul. Do you see more serving or less serving on your horizon? I mean, Paul's already, I mean, he's put in, in 10 years more than most Christians will put in in a lifetime. And, and, um, but there's a lot more on his horizon. And I was just thinking, hopefully, that the Lord will look at us and put a lot more ahead of us. And we will meet the challenge in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? All right. Jacob is going to join me now.